welcome to Legally Empowered. I'm your host, Sahara Pines, and I'm really excited to bring this podcast to you. As an attorney and former business owner myself, I'm passionate about drawing on my own experience and insight to set my female clients up for success. It's no coincidence that we kicked off season two of Legally Empowered during Women's History Month. This season, we'll continue to share the advice I give my best friend growing her business, as well as inspirational stories from women entrepreneurs in the thick of things. For International Women's Day, my colleague Francesca Gria and I sat down with Kirsten Jordan of Bravo's Million Dollar Listing New York to hear about her journey in the world of New York real estate, as well as becoming the first female cast member of Million Dollar Listing New York in nine seasons. Thank you so much, Sahara. We are so excited to have our client and our friend Kirsten Jordan here with us today to share her journey. Kirsten is a real estate broker, an avid public speaker, and was the first female cast member of Bravo's Million Dollar Listing New York. Kirsten has brokered an outstanding half a billion dollars worth of sales. That's billion with a B, pretty incredible. And in 2020, she was cast on the Emmy-nominated series and was featured in every episode of season nine. Kirsten is also a mom to three young children and juggles raising a family in addition to a really busy career. We are so excited. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad that we were able to pull this together and and that the three of us are hosting and talking about such important, interesting issues. Well, congratulations on the incredible growth of your team and your personal brand over the last couple of years. Start by telling us how you got started in real estate. I got into real estate because I had been living in Italy. It was my dream to learn Italian. And when I was living in Italy, I bounced around, didn't really have a great work visa, and I was able to find my way into sales. I was selling designs. I was selling actually licenses for a design agency that was up in northern Italy in a town called Bergamo. And um, I was selling these licenses. They weren't very expensive. I was traveling around Eastern Europe, meeting different people. I was 24 and I realized that I just loved sales. When I came back to the U.S., kind of with my tail between my legs, because it was super hard to make it in Europe as an American that didn't have any sort of papers or work visa, I came home and I decided to get into sales. My stepfather told me, if you get into sales, you should pick something that is a big ticket item so that the commissions are big. Why don't you get into real estate? So I got my real estate license. And in 2007, I started in real estate in New York City, which was right around the time of the financial crisis. So it was like the perfect time to get into business. <laughs> Not exactly. And I don't know how you left Italy and eating all the pasta, but what was it like making the decision to leave your former brokerage firm and start your own team? When I was cast in Millionaire Listing, I was at Compass and they were not super into TV, but they let me be on the show anyway. What I realized from the beginning of all of the filming and everything that was going on with Million Dollar Listing was that I was really spending a lot of effort creating a personal brand. While I was creating that brand, I realized that it was super hard to create that brand under another team umbrella and that the effort was probably better if I went to another place. And Element, I had been talking to for a long time because I was at Element at the beginning of my career. And so for me, it just felt like a no-brainer. The funny thing is, though, is that still making these changes are really tough. It was a lot of sleepless nights. I talked to Element for over a year while I was making the decision. It was just really hard for me to make that move. And then the other part of it that was difficult was my first time ever being a team leader. So I had to start all from scratch. I had to learn what to do. I had to learn how to make the right hires. Made a lot of mistakes. So long story short, 
I need to come to a different place to start my brand. And then I learned a lot of other stuff along the way. You talked about hires and I see you post this on Instagram about when's the right time to hire an assistant. How do you know when's the right time to scale or hire other employees? I waited too long to hire in the first place. So for me, I think as soon as you're at a point where you're busy enough to know what your best use of your time is or your highest and best use, it's the most profitable use of your time is the right time to start understanding how you can make a hire so that you're able to leverage your time. And if that's something that you continue to wait to do, you get more and more ingrained into doing the stuff that's part of the business that you probably shouldn't be working on and other parts that aren't your highest and best use. As a real estate agent, it's very different than other industries because it's up to you to decide when you get an, an, an assistant. In other industries, as soon as you make that next jump in income or you get to a certain status, it's automatic that you get someone to help you with clearly the things that aren't the highest and best use of your time. So. For me, in our industry, what usually happens is you wait until you make a hire that's one plus one equals three or four, which is a major leverage hire. When I was actually an assistant, the woman I used to work for always used to say that we were a one plus one equals three kind of duo. And that's where you're truly complementary in your strengths. Long story short, I think it's better to hire part-time somebody who can help you leverage your time rather than always pushing and waiting and waiting to, to make that. Sure, the best part of hiring someone is you don't have to do the stuff that you don't love to do anymore, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. And when I had spent so long doing the stuff I didn't like that I didn't even know if it was that I didn't like it or that I just didn't like the whole industry. No, that makes sense. And there's also a time to bring in belts and suspenders like your legal staff or business advisors, tax advisors, that sort of thing as well. So when do you make the leap? I, I think it's super interesting for me that as soon as I started making hires, I realized that I immediately needed legal because I had the contract with Bravo, which was a really important contract, which Francesca worked with me on. That was super, super important. And then what I realized right after that was, oh, everybody that I hire, somehow I need to make sure that there's compliance between the fact that I have this contract with Bravo that pretty much is more important than almost any other contract I have that now everything needs to be compliant with that. So as soon as I made my first hire, I realized that not only did I need to have the right kind of employment paperwork, not to get into the granular real estate agents are 1099 independent contractors. And there's also these assistants that you have that technically need to be W2, but that's something that you don't really Thank know. You. Until Thank you for saying that. I have a whole podcast episode oh, no, on that, Kristen. I didn't know any of this. So yeah, let's just say I didn't do everything right the first time. I think that getting legal involved early, even though when you're an entrepreneur or a small business owner, it can feel like a heavy lift to get legal involved in your first employment contracts with your first employee or your first 1099 independent contractor that's working with you. But honestly, if you're building the infrastructure to build or to grow, need to involve legal as soon as possible because you will get yeah. yourself into so much trouble. Sometimes it's just a matter of understanding the risk because as you're growing a business, you might say, I don't have the money for that or that's not where I'm choosing to put my money right now, but at least know what you don't know and know what the risks are. So later it doesn't seem so shocking if somebody tells you you're not doing it right. You're protecting your future business by having legal involved. Yeah, maybe you don't care about today because you feel like you're trying to scrape it together to even hire this first person. But the truth is it should be built into what you think the cost of the hire is that you need to make sure that you are tight legally. Yeah, and what other best piece of advice have you gotten from your mentors over the years? There's the hire slow fire fast and literally there is nothing more important than that. I would say as soon as there is something that's not right, and you have that first 
performance improvement meeting and and it's it's not the right fit i think it's it's super important to listen to your gut and it's very difficult i think especially in today's environment as soon as you train somebody you feel like you already put so much time and effort into the hire so i would say that's number one the other thing that i really make sure that i live by is making sure that the right people are in the right seats i think with the real estate industry it's really tempting to put the wrong people in in the wrong seats because of the fact that so many people come to real estate because of the fact that it's a multi-passionate kind of career. You can come in it from any place. There's no barrier to entry and people just want to be in real estate because it's so sexy and lucrative. And so being really careful about putting the right people in the right seats is something that I focus on every day. We do personality profiling before we even interview people in person. We're super, super careful of making sure that people are going to be the right personality fit, motivational fit for actual roles. And then the other funny thing that is a piece of advice that I've always been really careful about, and I think it's really true, is the no good deed goes unpunished, which is like doing something just because you think that somehow there's going to be some something good that will happen or I don't know how to explain it, but especially in our industry, you can have long relationships with people where you're giving them free real estate advice. And a lot of the time, if you're not clear about your intentions and they're not clear about their intentions, that you can get into kind of murky waters and waste a lot of time with a client or or with, with a relationship that maybe isn't going in the right direction. I always find that was something that rings true from my early years of my first boss. You've talked about how to make sure you have good fits with other people. But you also talked about on the show, you always felt like you were holding back and somebody could do it better than you. How do you feel like you get past self-doubt? Do you have any good tips? I think the number one way to get through self-doubt is to be prepared for your meetings. So what I find is that if you over-prepare, even if you feel like you're an imposter and that they're going to figure out that you're really not all that, at least you're prepared. At least you can have the comfort of being in the meeting and being at least somebody that you know what you're talking about and you did your research. The other part that I've realized about imposter syndrome is that a lot of the time, if you warm up before an interaction, you can usually leave it feeling the best possible. And so that's what I've really realized with when I'm feeling the most imposter syndrome or the most intimidation going into a scenario is making sure that I have somebody to talk to before I go into the meeting or before I go on stage or whatever that looks like to just get warmed up. Because in the end, there's a reason that we're all where we are right now. It's always, it's a long road to get here. And so there's a reason that we're here. So sometimes it's just important to just get the creative funny juices flowing or get yourself warmed up so that you're really able to just focus on being present and being prepared and being the best version of yourself in a meeting and then letting the rest take care of itself. Does that warm up include before you do an Instagram live or something like that? I just cannot bring myself to do those lives because I always feel like, ah, I'm so like awkward and people are out there just dancing and doing their thing and you oh. are so great at it. Well, thank you. Thank you. I do have a special talent, which is that I am really good at turning on when the camera turns on. Like, I'm good at like quick flip, quick switch. <laughs> and it's the Bravo casting. Great. So this year's International Women's Day theme is breaking the bias. Just how did you feel when you found out that you were cast as the very first female cast member of Million Dollar Listing New York? Describe that for us. What was the process? How did you feel? The process is really long, actually. It takes months for everything to work out from the initial moment, for a first touch point, and then the casting process, and then actually finding out that you're cast on the show. So I would say it's actually very similar to the, to what, like the, the imposter syndrome is this kind of every single thing had, has a next step so that you can 
not fake yourself out. There's always a next, there's always a, okay, you're going from finding out about it to, hey, maybe a screen test or the next, oh, I've made some videos of myself that I'm gonna send or those kind of like next steps. And so I would say for me, I was the most excited when I even started the casting process because for me, the first moment of deciding that I was gonna go for the show and actually make it happen and try was a decision that no matter what, I was gonna end up on television. So like the second that I started the casting process, I thought, it doesn't matter if they take me or like, I'm gonna be on television. So it's okay. I actually was like, hey, if Bravo doesn't take me, Netflix is gonna take me. Somebody's gonna take me because I was meant to do this. And I finally found out why I've been a real estate agent for so long. So when they did actually tell me, it was like a full body experience of being so excited and just feeling like this was gonna change my life. But the most exciting part was when I decided that this was something I was actually gonna try to do because I felt that there was nothing that could have stopped me from actually making it happen. At what point did you decide that being on TV was something that you wanted as part of your real estate career? Well, I got a random text from some casting agency that just said, are you interested? In, how was your year? How was your real estate year? said no year? one ever. Googling <laughs> actors out there. Yeah, it was like some weird link. You see this stuff all the time of emails that go out from casting agencies that are casting like Shaws of Sunset or like a new spinoff of like people who we make income in weird ways. So there's all kinds of things like this. So I got it, but of course I got it. I think because I was so ready for something like this in the sense that I was ready to take my career to the next level and I hadn't figured out how I was gonna do that, that when I got the text, I actually thought to myself, they've discovered me, they found mm. me. Which is funny because I'm sure they had texted like hundred other people. <laughs> Group text. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, they found me. They've discovered me. Like they realized that this is what I, and I really believed that. I just thought it was a message from like the universe. Yeah. How do you feel like we as women can help other women, entrepreneurs, or just the next generation of people coming up? The thing with women helping women is that right now being a mom, I have a strong point of view as to, as to how we could be helping each other, especially women who are mothers and then women in general. But I can tell you as being a mom, I know best how fellow women can help mothers who are getting back into the workforce or who are in the workforce and struggling with having children who are young who they'd like to see during the waking hours when their children are awake is really helping with flexible schedules when possible. I saw a major developer speak the other day and she was talking and she's a big developer and she was talking about how when her kids were little she literally worked from home on Fridays and this was before COVID. And she would work from her Blackberry and she worked from home and she liked being near her kids and that was super important to her. And this is something that I haven't embraced enough at all during my kids upbringing. And it's something that I have a woman on my team who's my highest level hire and she has two kids. So when she needs to work from home, when she needs to work from her lounge in her building, when she needs to take doctor's appointments, I don't even think about it because in the end, the hardest working people on my team are the mothers because we're trying to slide it in at different times of the day to get it all done. And so in the end, we end up working more because we don't shut it off at any time, really. We're working extra. So I would say supporting women with flexible schedules as needed with the understanding clearly of performance anyway, you're holding these standards of performance to them regardless. So who cares when they're working if they have a different schedule that they like to work. The other part is letting junior women 
have a seat at the table. For example, we have an intern right now who has no experience, but has jumped in and really worked really hard on the team. And she wants to be on the team and she's graduating. She's getting her real estate license. She doesn't have the experience that we need, but she's somebody who's willing to work really hard and giving her a seat at the table and saying, hey, if you really want to try, this is the job description. We're going to have very specific check-ins so that you can make it happen. And she's already proven to us that she's really willing to work really hard and let's see what happens. I think that's really important as well is being generous with letting women in to observe, especially with in-person meetings, which we're going back to, you can have somebody who wants to sit in and learn and see high level, pull them into a meeting, let them see what goes on because otherwise it can be years for some of these younger folks to get visibility on all the things that we're working on. And especially for young women who are coming in out of college who want to have female mentors or women to look up to, giving them those opportunities, I think is really important. Yeah, I think your point about visibility is really well taken and just making sure that you're giving younger women or the next generation opportunities, right, to see and to experience new things. You mentioned getting back to work and being back in the office and something that all entrepreneurs, whether male or female, have on their minds right now. In real estate, it, it must be interesting because you really needed to be in the office or at least be at like the open houses or be in person throughout the whole pandemic as much as clients would want to be, not so much like a traditional office space. Oh yeah, we were back right away. We were back June 22nd of 2020. We were back working with people in person. So we didn't really have, but I'm thankful for that, to be honest. For me, it was really lovely to spend those couple of months with my kids being back at home, but I was ready to be back in person. You have three kids. So you, like I, yeah, going back to work almost probably felt like a vacation. How do you balance that in, in your world? We all struggle with the time and the energy and how to make it all happen. So what does that look like in your household? The calendar is really important, making sure that there's calendar invites for everything, making sure that time is blocked out. That's non-negotiable time with the kids and then being super present with them. We have little silly ways as a family that we make sure that we spend real time together. My kids do this thing called snuggle, which is where I have to go get into their bed with them when they get into bed at night and lay with each of them for at least five to 10 minutes. One of my daughters, I read to her. The other one just wants to talk. Then my son wants to ask me what my favorite thing is, but I did that day. And honestly, I don't get to spend as much time with my kids as a lot of moms in real estate. I know a lot of moms in real estate are able to come home in between things. I really like to focus when I'm focusing. So I come home at the end of the day. Usually I don't really stop home in the middle of the day, hardly ever. So for me, I try to focus on making sure that I make quality time and I'm really being clear about the events that I want to attend and what I want to be able to do with them. And also be really clear about where my husband needs to step in or where I can't be there. So I try to just make sure that I'm really clear about what I'm trying to do, being present that when I am doing it with my kids, and then also having some traditions with them that they look forward to because kids love routine and they love these kinds of little, it's small stuff. It's really not big what you yeah. have to do to keep kids happy, but you have to stick to those things and you can't negotiate with the time that you have. That's right. We've got the family fun night where we spin a wheel and each person in the family gets to pick like a different either movie or they get to choose dinner or dessert that night. So there are nights that we allocate as family fun nights for us all to be around. I don't even think Francesca, you probably knew that. <laughs> it's not so cute though. It's good. It's really important. 
I don't have kids yet, but I um, see a lot of my friends who are on their first, second, third at this point, and I can't even imagine, honestly, the, the juggling and the balancing that it takes. But going off of that same vein, how do you, and I know you've mentioned this on the show as well, about how you manage your mental state and how that helps you turn every kind of disaster into an opportunity. What are your tips to juggling, to managing mental state? I do love meditation and I find that I can do that anywhere in the sense that, and it doesn't mean that it has to be 15 minutes. Sometimes I will sit in a conference room and I will put my feet up and turn off the lights and spend five or six minutes just regulating my breathing. I think that's really important. So I do focus on meditation. And then the other way that I work on my mental state, which I think I was telling you about the other day is I do feel like food is a drug and a lot of the stuff we put into our bodies are drugs that we don't think about like caffeine, alcohol, carbs, sugar, all of these substances. So I'm really careful about what I put into my body because I do find that that makes a really big difference for my mental state. I do get activity in every day in some form. It doesn't mean that I work out every day. We're thankful in New York City that a lot of the time you're walking places. So you I'll take phone calls while I'm walking, that kind of a thing. I'll just get out and make sure I move my body when I've been in the office a lot during the day. So I focus on all these little ways of making sure that I'm just keeping my kind of mind and body in, in top condition. And then I do have a life coach that pumps me up and makes me feel good about myself. I have a great business coach. I have people in my life. I have systems in place and an infrastructure to keep myself feeling really positive a lot of the time, or at least being able to take things in stride without getting really stuck in maybe bad news or something bad that happened. Tell me about your breakfast routine. I want to know what good stuff you uh, ply yourself with in the morning to Ooh, get you going. It's so hard. Breakfast is the hardest meal. I do a lot of black tea and oat milk kind of girl. That's my big go-to. Obsessed with oat milk. I it know. is like life-changing. It right? is life-changing. And then when they tell you there's so much carbs in it and there's all this and they want you to take it away. I, I, oh I, no, I, don't tell I, me that. Don't tell me that. I'm like, I'm sorry. I, I feel like I'm so clean everywhere else. If I'm going to have the oat milk and that makes me feel good and it's not dairy then I feel like I should be allowed to have it. I do have Chinese herbs every day, most of the time twice a day if I can remember, but at least once a day. And I have those on an empty stomach. I have like ground chia in water. I have lemon water. I take a bunch of supplements in the morning. There's a lot of different stuff that I take to basically just keep it all going. But, and when I don't take it, I kind of notice it really helps to have all the different pieces together. And then there's of course time periods where I don't have anything to try to like reset because you have to be careful. At one point I was probably having too many supplements. So I, I started to like take it back a little bit, take a step back on the supplements. I'm so curious about that junk juice though. Is it taste good? <laughs> no, it doesn't, but there are capsules. I'm taking a capsule right now because I ran out of the packets, but the capsules are pretty effective as well. And, and they're really easy to take. I think the, the juice itself is the most effective. And I find I see a really big difference from it, but the capsules I've been taking those and it still is really impressive how much it regulates my mood and helps with my skin and helps with my hormonal balance and all that, which is everything. Yeah. Other than the food and the junk juice and the supplements, I'll need to get all the names of what you're taking. When you are in the middle of a crazy transaction, how do you keep yourself and your team motivated? What I've realized is my team does rely on me a lot for motivation. I think for me, I rely on myself a lot for motivation as well. So it's funny because you don't realize when you have a team, they all do really look up to you. So what I do is I make sure I really keep a very even keel and I really do try to take things um, 
as seriously as they need to be taken. Because as you know, like I'm not saving lives, I'm just selling real estate. So it's important to keep that in check. And I'm sure that's the same with your industry. In the end, it's really important to remember what we're really dealing with here and then deal with it as quickly as possible. With as funny, Daryl, one of the partners here who was the founding chair of our group, he always says that sometimes I'll get caught up. I'm going, we have this and we have this and this is urgent. And he goes, we're not saving lives. We're just doing deals. Take a breath. So it is important to remember that keeping yeah. perspective. No, I, I agree. And I know that you are really strong in the gratitude practice and thankful for everything that you've been given and blessed with and recognizing like there's other things going on in the world and we, we can't cure all of them. No, and I think the other part of it is putting blinders on. For what it's worth, like I check in on the news like once a day. I don't spend, I just, I'm very careful. And, and because it's always coming at you. There's always so much negativity and so many things that are going on in the world that are really hard to deal with. But then if you add that on top of the fact that one of two or three of your deals are blowing up and you're you know trying to figure out what to do about eight or 10 clients, it's really, it's hard to handle that. And it's a huge time suck too. Yeah, there's something to be said for the fact that a hundred years ago, we didn't really know about everything that was going on everywhere. And maybe we don't need to all the time. I think it's important to compartmentalize because even in our office here, there's TVs everywhere, there's news on everywhere. And it's a lot, especially during COVID, it was a lot to handle. Literally the reinventing of the same thing and how easily it is to get sucked into it. You just have to be very careful. And I think that's across everything. That's social media. That's really being careful of where you're spending that little bit of time that you don't realize that you're really spending getting stuck standing in front of something and watching it or getting stuck into your phone. All of that can just suck away your time. And you have to be so careful of what you're putting into your brain because that's what you're the sum of is all these different little things that you didn't think you were really paying attention to. Yeah, absolutely. What would you say is one thing that you know now that you wish you would have known when you're starting out? I think that the thing I wish I'd known the most and I wish I'd understood, because I don't even know if I could have, I don't know how I could have understood it because I don't think my consciousness was there, is taking a step back and thinking about the why and the how when you're doing things. Because being really young, like I was 24, 25 when I got into this industry and I didn't have real job experience. I didn't have real life experience. And you're dealing with property transactions, which there's a lot of moving parts around that, that you need life experience to understand the why for. And if I had taken more time and more step back, instead of just being so quick to the trigger and quick to do things and rushed, because that's what you're doing when you're in these kinds of jobs, you feel like you're just trying to get everything done and off your plate. And I had been more thoughtful with a lot of the stuff I was working on. I think that would have probably helped my career more in the earlier years, because I think I spent a lot of time head down with blinders on like too many blinders and probably didn't look up and see what else was going on around me that I could have probably found success. Listen, it worked and I'm fine and I am in a good place now, but I think that for the young people out there, there are those of us, like people like me, who are too head down and they're not paying attention. They're just focusing on just like whatever they told me to do, getting it done, instead of thinking about the why, seeing something and saying something, really just being more thoughtful. Because there were a lot of things I saw that I thought were weird and I didn't say anything, or things that I saw that I had a moment in those early years in, in business where you see things and you think, they know better than me, I shouldn't say anything. And then later you realize, oh, what I saw was real. and 
so other people didn't see it, it's a problem now. And I think that listening to yourself is something I wish somebody had taught me to do in the beginning. Do you think that maybe you didn't listen to yourself because of your age back then or because you're a woman or you just didn't know that whether it was your place to say something? I think everything. I feel like I had spent a lot of years thinking that everybody around me knew more than me. I think I've said this before. I think this literally was the line in the show. I spent a lot of years thinking other people knew more than me when the truth is at some point where the playing field gets pretty level or the knowledge base in this industry at a certain point can be a lot more level than you. It's all how smart you think you are at some point because this is a business that a sleight of the hand can be the difference between selling a $10 million apartment or a $20 million apartment or not. Yeah. What would you say has been like, one of your hardest transactions or a lesson that you've learned from something really tricky or difficult over your career? I have a couple, I have these set of brothers who are clients of mine that I've been dealing with for a really long time. I think I've been working with them for maybe 12 years. And with me, they've bought, let's see, they've bought five apartments and they've sold one. And they make me insane we think in completely different ways than each other. I'm sure they're not on the call right now. Listen, I respect them so much though, because they think about things completely differently than I do. And there were a couple of times where I think we all thought, should we really all be still working together? And I suck it out. It was one of the best decisions I've ever made because now that I have an infrastructure in place to support them, because part of it was that I didn't have the infrastructure in place to truly support them the way they need to be supported because they needed more support from an administrative perspective and more support in general, which made me always feel like I was on my heels because I was always the jack of all trades as a real estate agent usually is. And now we did four transactions together this year and they were crucial clients for me in my first year at Element. I made this big move, this big change, and those transactions that I did with them were really important because they put me on the map for this year. And that's really important when you're, when you do a move the first year, you know, that you make a move, like I moved firms, you know, some of the bigger transactions you do are really important because the transition itself can be a transition where it's hard to start doing all the business that you were doing before at your previous firm, because the change itself is disruptive. The idea of the long-term clients and and being loyal is that is that a critical component are you finding in your business or is it really like a one and done at the multi-million dollar levels enlighten us if you can hold on for dear life and figure out a way to deal with certain clients i think it's most it's very important to not let emotion get in the way of doing these transactions because the truth is at the highest level you are going to get some incredible people and you're going to get some people who you just don't see eye to eye with, but that doesn't mean that they're bad people. And whereas then of course there's the whole category of people who like are bad people and you should be careful of people who are bad people. And that's a whole other conversation, but there are people who you don't see eye to eye with, but there's nothing wrong with that. And it's learning how to deal with those people. And I think in early in my career, even with this specific client, I didn't know how to deal with them. I just didn't, I didn't know, but I, I did it. I figured it out and we dealt with each other. But now that I have this infrastructure in place and people on my team who are actually really good at dealing with these kinds of people, it's been amazing because I've been able to preserve the relationship and now I can have the good part of the relationship without the other part, which I didn't know how to deal with. So I would say 
sticking it out is super important and it is really important to figure it's really important to figure out how to not be emotional and not throw your hands up in the air and and walk away from things because a lot of the a lot of clients bring you more clients in this industry clients bring you more clients and that's success brings you more success I feel if you can get through a transaction with your broker and actually still like them, I still like our real estate broker here in LA. It's like a contractor, right? If you get those referrals and things don't go awry, then it really says a lot about that person and their working relationship. We have some audience questions. Would you be okay with us? Okay. Fran, you want to do the first one? Yeah. So looks like the first one is... What are your best tips for leadership and managing a team? I think you have to decide if you are good at managing people, because if you are not good at managing people, and this is something that takes years to learn how to manage people, or you have it or you don't, and still, it still takes years to learn more intricacies around management. I think it's really important to decide to have somebody who's going to help you manage, because I think I learned that really quickly with my team. My team is amazing. I love them. I love being around them. I think they're awesome. I love working with them. but they need more daily management than I can provide them. So there is somebody on my team who helps me with managing the team and making sure people are feeling appreciated, feeling validated, feeling supported, feeling like they can ask questions, making sure that they have somebody who they can talk to when I'm out and about working and doing the real estate part of the business. Okay, the next one is, what advice do you have for women in male-dominated industries? What's interesting about real estate is that at the high end, it's probably a toss-up as to which gender dominates it at any given time. There's mostly women in residential real estate in general. I think we're more, it's more than 50% women in residential real estate. I have found that for me, the most important thing in dealing with male-dominated situations is I don't really give it a lot of, I don't really give it a lot of attention that I'm the only woman there or that it's all men because I do find myself. And maybe it's because I do have, I have a pretty strong personality. I'm a really high D on the personality profile, which is like <laughs> very direct. And, and so I actually don't really, I, I really make sure that I don't make a big deal out of it because I do find that in, in, in so many scenarios, we can all get along. And if I, if somebody makes a funny comment that maybe is a sexist comment or something like that, I usually make light of it. And I usually just say, you clearly haven't worked with me before or something that's easy to just push it off or not really give it a lot of attention because I find that the more attention I give to that stuff, it doesn't come to anything that's really great unless we're talking like something that's actually illegal or Title IX or something like that. But a lot of this stuff is subtle. So I just deal with this stuff with a lot of humor and a lot of confidence and a lot of pride around being maybe the only woman in certain scenarios and deal, being able to deal with kind of any room. Do you feel like you just have a natural confidence or I would say one of my biggest challenges, I think, as I've come through this industry is figuring out, like you said earlier, how to not take things personally. And even when I don't feel confident, it's the imposter syndrome you're talking about, how to just act confident and fake it till you make it. Is Does it just come naturally to you or... Is it a learned uh, tip? Yeah, I, I would say I'm definitely lucky because there's a certain element that's definitely natural. My daughter has some similar traits and so it must be coming from somewhere. And then I also am blessed with a truly goldfish brain. Like I forget, people can be mean to me. I completely forget. I just don't. You're like Dory from Finding Nemo. <laughs> I'm just like, it just works. Like I, I forget stuff. I forgive really quickly. I just don't, I don't hold grudges. I, I, I'm very, that's just how I've always been. And I'm sure it has, 
<laughs> there's a whole, there's a lot of therapy that we're trying to figure out what happened and why. But yeah, I just, it works for me to just move on and it always has. And so I just, it's a part of me that is a superpower instead of something that I can change because it does help in business. Yeah. Fran, you want to do the next one? Yeah. So the one that came in is how the show has impacted your business. We talk about that. It's so funny because everybody has this question and the way that it does impact your business immediately is that it helps open doors but you have to open those doors yourself. There are the occasional referrals that come in of people who are interested in talking to you because they saw you on the show, because the fact that they're fascinated by what you're doing and they you know, literally saw you on TV and they wanna work with you. But I would say that those are less than a handful. And the rest are people who are more interested in talking to you and already knew you, like they already know me. And so now they're more interested in talking to me because it's a differentiator or it helps open the door and allows me to get in with certain, get in with certain groups as long as I make the phone call. I know you talked a little bit about the importance of your own personal brand. What advice can you give to people who are starting out in terms of building their personal brand and how to go about it? What I'm finding with my personal brand now that it's, I would say, I think I started thinking about the brand itself in 2017. So now we're in 2022. So that's five years of, basically giving it actual attention. And I think you have to own that it's going to change and that your vision of what you think that your pillars of your brand are should be movable. And there will be clarity that will come the more content you create and the more you see what resonates out there, the more you'll get clarity around those pillars. And then thinking of the brand as, as pillars is really important. And I, it's in like in every branding book, I feel like you pick your brand pillars, but then there's also this aspect of making sure that whatever you do is truly genuine because there is no faking it. And that's what you learn in reality television is that there's really no good reason to fake it. Just be yourself because unless you're truly an actor or you're like really trained in acting, everybody can see it and sniff it out. When you're in acting school, I took two acting classes in college. That's all I ever did. And what they always taught you is that you needed to have a true objective at any point in time in the performance, right? You always have to have your actual objective, whether it's to prove something or to convince somebody or to kill someone or to love someone or to move the boulder to the other side of the room. And, and the truth is that's the same for branding. You should have a purpose. Whatever content you're putting out there, you should have a purpose. And don't be afraid of the fact that things are going to keep changing as you continue to put more content out there. Because at this point, branding is just content that you're putting out there and shaping that content to something that is going to resonate with your audience. Is social media the preferred like method these days or is, what's your favorite type of marketing? Social media is free, which is great because <laughs> the truth point. is you can start and you can experiment and you can try for free. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of good reason to start there because you can literally experiment without having to pay for it unless you want to pay for the production cost of whatever you're putting out there. So I think that's a great venue. And then of course the next level is digital marketing and blogs and websites and all of that. And then the rest of it is, yeah, I guess TV after that, it's, there's not a big, it's literally social, other digital, and then there's television and then between all of that, there isn't really anything else anymore. There's streaming, which isn't TV, but there's TV. I studied 
broadcasting in college and never could I imagine how much content would be created and available like over the internet, right? Like the YouTube and other streaming channels. So there is an incredible opportunity for people who are comfortable creating content and getting their brand or getting their message out into the world. Obviously it takes so much time, which is something that none of us have. But remember, once you get the hang of it, you can do it in no time. And that's the key is making sure that you're not intimidated by the fact that it might take a little bit to warm up. But then as you learn how to do bite-sized chunks of content, it's something that you can chip away at or batch for that matter. Take the three hours in the in an afternoon and have somebody come and have outfit changes, make your different little talking points. And, and the content that people want nowadays is getting shorter and shorter of what they're Absolutely. interested in. So, I think like I used to be super intimidated by it. And every single time I go to make content, I'm not excited about it. I hate it, but I do it because it's like anything else. It's, it's part of the job now. That's right. Switching gears a little bit. How do your kids feel about seeing you on TV? Watch with them? Oh yeah, they love it. My, the thing is my younger two, they are not, they're not big million dollar listing fans because they're too young. Like they're like yeah. deep in Paw Patrol and Peppa Pig and stuff like that. And then my older daughter, the one that's eight, she's like totally into it. She's super proud. She's like most likely to be famous, little awards at school. Like she's ready. She tells people on the bus, you don't know people. She's like, you know, my mommy's on TV. Just want to tell you my mommy's on TV. <laughs> that is so cute. Gotta get our cameos, right? <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. I should, I, I put my kids on a cameo the other day when I was doing one and, and I was like, and here's the fam. Ray reviews. <laughs> so fun. <laughs> And we have another audience question. The question is, how have you expanded your business as the industry has changed? For example, real estate in the metaverse. Oh God. Yeah. That is an area where I'm sure it's a good idea to get in early because I think that there's something to be said for it. I am more comfortable investing in the stuff that I know, which is my own personal brand into my own team. There's so many areas for me to invest where I know I have more control that right now I'm not investing in the metaverse. However, I don't think that means it's a bad idea. I just think it's like anything else where there's limited resources for all of this. I think I'd probably sooner invest in actual the cryptocurrency world myself, just because at least that's something that I see like my banker friends are investing in. And I can see that they still believe that has a reason and that it's going gonna, it's gonna to bounce back. Whereas the metaverse is a little bit harder for me to say, oh, I totally get how that's going to work out. Maybe we should be creating like the first Kirsten Jordan NFT. Exactly. Exactly. Our that's partner it. Heidi can take that and run with it. And that's her expertise. We've got another podcast episode on that. And um, oh, yeah. that would be super fun. Next I project, mean, right? <laughs> I am. I'm totally up for all of it. I feel like me pixelated or whatever it is, or as a cartoon, my kids would love that actually. That's so funny. Another sort of off topic question, but what are you watching on TV right now? Other than Bravo and million dollar listing. Um, I'm trying to think what I'm watching on TV. To be honest, I am preparing for my first keynote speech on March 24th at the greater Boston association of realtors in Boston. And I have, I'm building this business. So I always watch the million dollar listing shows. So I always watch million dollar listing LA and million dollar listing New York. And I have those playing and then I'm dying to, I've been watching, this is really sad and my mom when I'm doing this, but my daughter and I are reading the Harry Potter books together. 
and I'm reading them out loud to her. And then when we finish one, I get to watch a Harry Potter because I'm really, and I never did Harry Potter as a child. So I'm actually really into Harry Potter right now. And I'm also really believe that everything you need to know in life, you actually could learn from the Harry Potter books, but this is a whole <laughs> podcast. It's so incredible, the wholesome takeaways and the lessons that they have in those Harry Potter books. I like, there are some days when I like, it brings tears to my eyes because I think they do such a good job of teaching life lessons in those books. So I'm living Harry Potter for the first time right now. So that's what I'm focusing on at home. That is awesome. And I haven't read them yet either. I just read the first one, but my husband did the same thing that you're doing and went through with my uh, middle daughter, who's now 15, and she just loved the series and and then watched each of the movies as they finished the book. So I think that's really cool. And that should take you a while too. It takes a while. What's really impressive is my eight-year-old went from not really reading these chapter books to the other day, we had 50 pages left in Harry Potter and I'd already finished it and I didn't tell her. And then we had 50 pages left of me reading out loud and she woke up in the morning by herself and she finished it. So that's it. But this is, this is back to, this is like back to basics, like learning because kids are excited about reading yeah. real books that then have a real movie that's attached to the real book. It's, this is, that's great stuff. Anytime you can get your kids reading is, I think, uh, a real win with so many distractions in, in today's world and, and so many pressures as well. Are your kids out of masks yet in, in New York? They should be, right? Yeah. yeah, they are. My daughter had allergies this morning and I didn't send her in because I just knew that they would send her home. So I felt like a really good parent. And it was her first, it was going to be her first day without masks. So I felt badly, but but she'll be back in tomorrow. But yeah, the kids, except for my four-year-old, they're not ready to pull that yet. So hopefully that will come soon. Yeah, how does the home life balance work between you and your husband? Stefano is lucky because of the fact that he is a developer and he works for himself. So he works from home all the time. He has a home office. We have a real home office. Like it's not like something in the bedroom. It's a real room. That's a real office that he works from. And then he's out and about in the city a lot of the day. So he has a little bit more flexibility with his job because of the fact that he's truly, he has a small team. So it's not the same kind of a thing. Whereas for me, I feel the need to be present with my team and be out and about more. So he and I tag team. Like when it comes to trips, he usually takes like in August, he takes the whole month with the kids because he can work from there and I come for a couple of weeks. When I was filming, I didn't even go that one summer because of the fact that he went and stayed with the kids and I stayed here. So we, we tag team and he's amazing. He takes all three kids by himself on the airplane. It's impressive. Eight-year-old, six-year-old, and four-year-old in the world of- Not easy, but they're his kids too. Exactly, exactly. They're his kids too. It's more that it's actually hard for any parent to do it alone. Like it's hard when I have to do it alone. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I remember my very first solo trip with my oldest daughter. Gosh, I'm going to age myself. She's 17 now. And when we moved from New York to California, I somehow thought it would be a good idea to not only fly by ourselves, but fly at like landing in LAX at 6 p.m. on a Friday. And gosh, after that long day flying with an infant, we sat on the 405 for two hours to get to our new home. And I was literally ready to get back on the plane and go back to New York, Kirsten, yeah. I swear. The, the fact that I'm actually still here all these years later, just incredible. So I do give props to Stefano for, for taking all three of them on the flight. Oh yeah, I, when I was pregnant with Tommy, I, I flew over with the two girls because he had to come over earlier and I was pregnant. 
and I, I don't sleep on planes and I showed up and I had both girls with me and he was like, how did it go? And I just sobbed. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> because that's all you could do. There's no way to describe it. The exhaustion. Yeah, that we can all relate to that. Yeah. It's uh, listen that those are the, those are the moments that, yeah, those are real parenting moments. I think we have time for one more audience question. Fran, you want to jump in? Yeah, honestly, it's just speed walking is the question, which I think people are fascinated by it. Can you, and you don't know this about me yet, but when we get together, you're definitely going to have to go slow because I am the slowest walker with the shortest legs. So, <laughs> What's crazy about race walking is that I got into it in high school. I think I was a sophomore in high school. And what's great about track and field is that they put you in heats. So you don't compete. The first time you do something like this, you don't compete against the best. You compete against other people who are in your heat. So I think I was in the second heat, which means I wasn't with the top race walkers. And the race walking is actually a very small sliver of people. Like it's not that many people. So a lot of the race walkers doing the second heat weren't that fast, but I actually had a natural knack for the race walk. And so I was lapping people. I won my first race and it was a really big beginner's luck moment. And I actually always look back on it and I always use it as an example for people about how there's something about beginner's luck and it happens in real estate sometimes when you're at the beginning of your career, you'll have a really special moment in any, any career, but a very special moment where somehow you have a big piece of, you have big success early on in your career. And I think that sometimes that helps you with the longevity and it helps you with the, the motivation to succeed. And for me, it was that way because I did very well in this first race and I never had any sort of athletic ability at all. And so it was something that was so cool to me that I actually was good at this and I actually was going to place so well that I just immediately threw myself into it. And it was super special because I was the, I won the States and the nationals back to back in my, in, in my senior year. And I was a record holder. It was a really big deal for me. And it was a kind of a niche event, but still I was an all American. Amazing. This has been so great. Thank you so much for being here. But before we close it out, tell us what's next in the year ahead. Oh, what's next? We have like over 100 million in our pipeline right now of stuff that's happening. So we're hoping to hit 200 million in sales this year, which would be a really big number for the team. I think it's going to happen. And I'm in the process of writing my first book. Proposal is almost ready to go. So they say don't sell it too soon. So stay tuned. <laughs> And then honestly, I'm, I'm really enjoying the public speaking aspect of things. And so if I can just continue to push my business along with, with my team, then I can travel around the country and do one of those, one of these public speaking gigs, maybe once a month or once every couple of months, that would be really big for me. That sounds amazing. And we will be following your adventures both on Bravo as well as on Instagram, as well as through our work together. So thank you so much, Kirsten, for being with us. We really enjoyed our time today and all of the great advice for women entrepreneurs and people growing their businesses and growing their careers as we celebrate Women's History Month together. So important. And we really appreciate your insights and your time. Thank you for having me. This was lovely. And I cannot thank both of you enough for all you've done for my business because it's really very special. I know we only touched on it for a minute, but having the right legal team is very paramount in running your business. So I, I can't thank you enough. We're here for you. <laughs> Thanks, Kirsten. Thanks everyone for joining us.